we're in Coimbatore. It's for me my first visit, and I say this so that you know when I ask questions that I'm also learning. Maybe like many of you listening. And uh, what I like to begin with all guests is you can do a self introduction. However, you often present yourself, uh, either home or abroad. Uh, you, there's of course there's a name, but also there's how you identify yourself. Uh, by all means, go for it. My name is Manikandan, and uh, I'm part of a family business. Um, uh, somebody who's very passionate about sustainability. So I work in a family business that's been into manufacturing textile machinery, and now we're diversifying into the fiber as well as into electric mobility. Let's start with this place because okay, we're in Coimbatore. It's it's a significant city in Tamil Nadu, uh, which is again for me having arrived this morning a new state, and with a new state comes situation, the reality, life priorities what's going well what's not going well um you are of this place this is your home right um and let's talk a little bit about that in terms of what you're doing manufacturing uh it's a family business how did that start and then how did you uh fit into it yeah my dad started this uh, in the late 1970s we started with textile machinery components and moved on to specializing in carding machines and now we specialize only in bast fiber we specialize in machinery for processing jute and coir and likely to move on from jute and coir to industrial hemp and nettle in a few months from now i joined the family business in 2000 straight out of uh, post graduation uh, we were an, actually in a recession so it was an opportunity for me to escape but uh, in coimbatore we do not uh, run away so i said uh, if i sink i sink with the boat that actually gave me my education or we come out together we came out together so 2003 was the end of the recession and we've seen three recessions after that we're seeing one recession now in textile machinery we will come out of that continue to work the city is actually the spirit we don't go back and we don't go down it's interesting that you say this because of course we live in a world not just this country but in a world where look when when things are bad people will will move especially when it's very bad economically we move i'm the product of of a lot of that as well um but you've said in this city we don't run you definitely don't um how do you explain what this city is uh, today compared to what it was when you were a kid it's significant we know for manufacturing we're going to hear more about it um Yeah, city's grown. A lot of manufacturing has uh, expanded. Uh but I actually miss the old city. Uh it was calm. The weather was amazing. Yeah. I actually miss my weather. So you you would actually know when it would rain, which day of the month it would rain. I actually miss that. But the positive side is that uh, we've actually been able to employ quite a lot of people. Hmm. And the contribution towards uh, the economy has been dramatic. be it in textile machinery be it in textiles uh, general engineering metallurgy and now electronics and as recent as medical tourism this has been a fantastic journey yeah. i've uh, probably would know about 35 years i'm 39 now so the 39 years that i have known the city of coimbatore we have transformed into what we would never have actually imagined it was a very small place specializing in textile machinery and textiles and now name it we are there the only thing that i still miss i see coimbatore missing is having an automotive company right out of coimbatore hmm. 
We do not have a large automotive company based out of Coimbatore. Now, help me out with the national context. You have uh, auto producing companies. Tata creates those. That's the automobile I recognize. The name. We have others. We have quite a lot of automotive companies here. The homegrown ones, the Tatas, the Mahindras. Then you have got the Ashok Leyland here. And apart from that, you've got the Japanese, the Americans, the Koreans. Name them. Everybody is here. From uh, a small car producer like Suzuki to probably uh, Rolls Royce, they all have a focus here. To the extent that I've seen a few Maserati showrooms right out of Bombay and uh, Pune. We supply components to them, minor, major, but there has not been a a political will to build an automotive company right out of Kuwait. Uh, there was one effort which was made. Uh, the Lakshmibels family wanted to set up an automotive company out of Coimbatore. The late Karivardhan actually visioned uh, cars to be made in Coimbatore. Unfortunately, with a few prototypes having been made, he lost his life in a tragic accident. And since then, the project has been shelved. But yes, there are a few companies uh, which are into, say, automotive components and probably even electric mobility. But I think there has to be a little more. There has to be more. I wouldn't say a little more. There has to be a lot more coming in. As someone whose business actually has a lot of arms or, or departments, projects, it sounds to me, and you can correct me now, that there is a, a social element to what you were doing. Now, of course, a lot of companies will say, "Of course, we care about the world, the customer, and so forth." But I have to tell you, in the few minutes that I've been here. You, what is it about when you think about business decisions that ties itself so closely to to social people's lives? See, the, the term corporate social responsibility is new. I would say Coimbatore has been philanthropic even in the older days. I've heard people tell me uh, that in the past, uh, when transportation was not that very, uh, it was just in the forming stages. Uh, people of Coimbatore would actually leave water and food for travelers and a place to relax and stay, uh, sleep in the night and continue their journey the next morning. Now that is how the city has evolved. I am a proud product of a philanthropic system. I studied in the colleges which were built by the PSG and Sons charities. When the trust was set up, it was set up as the fifth brother of the family. So this I'm talking way back in 1920s and 30s. So you can understand that community and service to the community goes way back into the system itself. The city of Coimbatore cannot coexist without serving the community. So the entrepreneurs of Coimbatore have always served the system more than they have served their own families. We can choose so many roads here. I mean, we started talking about the automobile because it is not only is it potentially fascinating, but it's everywhere. Uh, in that sense, I don't see Coimbatore so differently at this point from other cities that I've we've passed through. And that is, there's traffic, there's cars, there's roads. We talked a little bit about, uh, sorry, this wasn't for the audience, but about flyovers. I think everybody listening, if you're not sure about the term flyover, we're talking about a road that goes over the road, you know, as the term suggests. And, and indeed, here we have them being built as a solution. But as you said, uh, you've told us uh, already 
out of date, late, too late uh, solution. So we have all these cars. That's my point with Coimbatore. Um, there is still a culture growing that demands more, that wants more cars maybe than ever. But what I don't get, and I guess no one has an answer to, but I pose it to you anyway, is how will this city, this region accommodate the demands that people have, This, this, the importance of the automobile? And in some cases, in some places, it seems like there's no choice, right? You need to have a car more and more. Yeah, uh, the need for automotive stems from a few reasons. The public transportation in India needs to improve quite a bit. So there are uh, areas where, you know, there are some gray patches still there. That is one aspect. Second aspect is automotives actually speak a lot about societal belongingness. So if I own a car or if I own a motorbike or a scooter, it speaks about me and probably my uh, relationship with the community. So I probably am trying to send a signal to the society that uh, I'm moving from one platform to another platform. So the city uh, had its own host of entrepreneurs and there was a large middle-class population which was here working for the entrepreneurs. And much before the terminologies of startups came in, these middle-class families migrated to become entrepreneurial families and then started moving up the ladder. So from the middle class, you start moving up the ladder, you become the upper middle class, and then you probably join the elite. So your transition probably is in the form of automotives or in the form of buying a house for yourself. So an automotive plays a very pivotal role in trying to position yourself in the community. So that means with the middle class growing further in Coimbatore, the need for automotives is actually going to increase further. And the capacity to handle them? Yeah, the infrastructure is not beefed up to handle the cars now. Even today, the cars and the, the two-wheelers or the, the vehicles are on the road. We are not prepared for it. We probably need um, to reduce this by another 50% for the current infrastructure to be appropriate. Um, we cannot talk about uh, the infrastructure being beefed up to handle the increased cars because that's a major decision that comes in where you'll probably have to knock down quite a lot of buildings to pave way for this. That's going to be a tough task. The city can expand further, but the growth of automotives is going to be there. You're not going to be able to stop it. Yeah. The consumption will grow dramatically. My, my mind goes a little bit to what I read in history. I, I was raised partially in the, in the US. A large part of my life was in the US. And uh, as I read about the history of the rise of the automobile in the <laughs> 50s especially, one thing that accompanies this rise is a decline in investment in public transport. And it's amazing sometimes, you hear about cities, uh, some that are still doing okay, where the more cars that came on the road, the more a trolley line was thrown away, canceled, paved over. Um, and I sometimes I look around and I wonder, well, I see no sign really of uh, a major investment in, as you say, public transportation. It's unclear to me, and, and you've mentioned the word the term political will. It's unclear to me if, you know, it's a chicken or egg thing. Are people demanding it? Uh, or is the government not doing it? Who's, you know, it's hard to tell where any of this begins and ends. No, the demand for a better infrastructure, especially in public transportation, has always been there. Uh, there still has been uh, a request for having metro, connect metro train connectivities in Coimbatore. Uh, Coimbatore as a city does not have that great rail connections internally. 
uh, I, I've been told that uh, in the past, the city was connected internally by waterways. So you had tanks. Uh, the city is actually rain-fed. It does not have the state does not have uh, rivers which originate from uh, within the state. So you're dependent on water from your neighboring states. So what typically happened in the city of Coimbatore is you've got tanks around the city, which act as rainwater hubs. So they were storing rainwater for the off season, and this also was used for internal transportation. So it was planned hundred odd years back to have a public transportation system. So that still has not moved on to the next stage. We have buses, but we still do not have local trains which can connect you. You probably need a, a metro or a monorail, or probably even going next generation talking about cable cars to help the city sustain itself so that the vehicles can go off the road. See, today if I have to go to uh, my factory, I can take the bus. I will reach a particular point, and from there I cannot go down to my factory. I'll probably have to get somebody to come down and pick me up. But I want to be uh, independent. So I, I, if there was a better infrastructure, I would like to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have tried it a few times. I have tried taking uh, the buses from uh, my house to the office. It, it during peak hours you can't step into the bus. Yeah. So uh, and that actually prompts me to think uh, and go back and say, okay, let me try it after a few more months. Probably there'll be a few more buses being added. So that thought goes back, and I start driving my car once again. Mm-hmm. And that probably is one of the reasons why. The Sparrow is actually was born. Yeah, we saw uh, that as a tremendous opportunity. Bicycling uh, was actually pushed back because it is no more considered to be you know chic Uber, but now it's coming back mm-hmm. because uh, there are people who are fed up sitting in traffic, mm-hmm. and there are people who also have some uh, focus on the environment. They want to bring down a little bit of climate change impact, whatever they can do. Yeah. So they start to get into cycling. And one reason, probably a little more migration is not there because I'm not physically fit enough to pedal myself all the way to office and back or wherever it is. Mm-hmm. So that's where uh, an electric bicycle changes the whole scene. And I see this as a tremendous opportunity. It it'll be a game changer. It'll be a game changer. Yeah, I mean, it is indeed something that you see. Like when you're stuck in traffic, the only person. Or vehicle that's passing you by is a bicycle. Uh, sometimes the auto rickshaw, that that wild card on the road in this in this whole country, actually gets you there faster. You know, I start to in, when I first arrived in this country, I thought, why does the auto rickshaw still exist? And then in my first days, I thought, oh, because it's cheap. That's why. But I have new conclusions about this, and one of them is how fast and how small it can fit into places. In in the city of Kuwait, the auto rickshaws are not cheap. Oh. They're more expensive than uh, the Ubers and the Olas. Why is that? Um, you have very limited people using the auto rickshaw, so they need to take care of their living. So the basic cost of uh, owning an auto or running an auto is probably higher. So they have a higher slab. Mm-hmm. So they probably expect you to pay a little more. Yeah. So you you mentioned the Sparrow. It's interesting to me that you again. It's the way you seem to work, which is fascinating. The bicycle was not the thing which, when you came out of school, you were busy designing and dreaming about, was it? It was something that you, you've moved to, or things around you have led you to. True. Uh, I, I when I was out of school or when I was out of college, I was not visualizing that I would probably make an electric bicycle or even a bicycle for that matter. Uh, the oh yes, uh, the thought was that I would probably gain some experience and then be part of the family business, diversify it. But then. Uh, 
electric mobility was never part of the diversification thoughts at all it's actually evolved uh, we've done a lot of traveling so we've understood what's happening in the other parts of the world and uh, you're stuck in traffic most of the time mm-hmm. so you don't seem to find that in a few cities outside india probably the reason is uh, they are much more well structured and uh, i saw an opportunity in multiple levels one as i told you bicycling is coming back mm-hmm. second is this is actually uh, an attempt for us to understand electric mobility mm-hmm. so we see it from two perspectives so the second perspective is actually the pivot which started the whole process so we've understood the need for electric mobility by starting with a small device and i wouldn't say uh, the most simplest device because a bicycle is probably the most complicated you have to get your geometry right it took a long time for us to get the geometry right though there are a lot of books which help you get the geometry right but still when you manufacture it takes a lot of time to fit into the right space took time got it done and now we probably will try and enhance this by adding more comforts more features into this product there's more that we can offer to the consumer i would say a connected spero is probably the need of the hour uh, in terms of information information you're connected to a cloud you probably uh, need a um, a digital helmet mm. these are where we are moving our journey towards mm. these actually uh, are the preliminary steps but ultimately i would like to see uh, public sharing of uh, e-bikes in india grow to the next stage mm-hmm. last mile connectivity so if the public infrastructure grows and if i am able to get into a metro and get off a metro and use e-bikes as my last mile connections i would be very happy doing that yeah say if i have to walk about 100 meters pick up an e-bike drop it at the metro station pick up the metro go down to my office from the metro station to my office it say i i have another mile connection with an e-bike or some other form yeah. i would definitely like to do that then get stuck in the traffic at least you know my quality of life would be better right. my productivity is better because i am not frustrated by sitting in the traffic so my mental state actually improves dramatically and also when you happen to pedal a little you probably are a little more physically fit so i see this as a tremendous opportunity as an interesting sometimes i think it's um an awakening but i think this might could easily be an overestimation about the 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 past uh, the awakening i'm talking about is this starting to be concerned or seemingly starting to be more concerned than recent in recent past about your mental state about the costs you know you, you even if it's not money the costs in time or the costs in suffering frustration anger and so forth uh, it's it seems like all over the world i guess i'm going to call it some kind of awakening that's going on even here in india i've i've noticed uh, even state by state this discussion of what you suffer for being in traffic or no uh, it's actually given a um and a new generation of business to come in wellness uh, gone are the days you know where uh, you go to a doctor for uh, a medical ailment you probably these days uh, prefer going to a wellness center to keep yourself physically and mentally agile so that you can continue your day to day life uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective i would say it's a wonderful thought process to have evolved yeah. but from talking from a human being's perspective i think it actually is sad uh we have to go probably to a play to laugh mm-hmm. Th- these are things which has uh 
been a result of this whole globalization that's happened it actually is worrisome i'm worried uh, that uh, the trees that i had when i grew up to play around my children don't have them and the the frustration that we have at work if i carry it home then i can understand what kind of situation it would be to upbring children now that from a businessman's perspective if you are in wellness industry it, it is very nice but from a person who uh, is talking from outside i would say it actually is a little sad and it's you said it right from the beginning i remember when the weather was better i remember when you could predict do your neighbors agree with what you remember or are you on your own and the reason i ask this is because i've seen it in in many countries where someone will say look there's there's a significant change and then we've got science but still people will come forward and say well i'm not sure i'm not sure are you on your own or or do people your neighbors see this as well quite a lot of people see this yeah. and uh, it's surprising that only a few people are worried about it mm. the people who are not worried about it uh, think that it's part of life mm-hmm. but um, i'm part of a small group which feels that you know we've done the damage and if we do not try and fix it it can never be undone so it's it's time or it's probably way beyond time and unless some dramatic measures are taken it's going to be impossible to correct the, the damage that we have done yeah yeah and then, and then you know and anyone listening knows the classic debate then comes with the but wait development first environment later someone said in a recent interview and i don't think they meant anything negative by it but they said oh you know in the west uh you've already had the development and now you're in a position where you can worry about the environment you you know this i think this discussion is had in diplomatic circles a lot uh see when you talk about development or when you talk about globalization i would still say we still uh, are happy eating our normal food we've not gone into a situation where we see in the uh, science fiction movies where uh, uh, you eat some capsules and uh, your uh, meals are done no it's still not so so i i wouldn't say uh, i wouldn't agree with most people who say that you know the west is evolved and developed so uh, they are probably talking about uh, uh, the need to slow down or to go back to your tracks no i i wouldn't say that uh, everybody has been a benefit to, or a, a beneficial towards whatever has happened in the west if um, finland's brought in nokia and the smartphones were used uh, this is a common man who used it nobody told nokia that you know uh you shouldn't be doing that uh, you shouldn't be using so much of silica in your boards nobody told them that so it is not just the west the east north and south everybody was party to it so i i'm not somebody who will say, say that you know the blame is to go only to one part of the world no it's the entire world which is supposed to be blamed for it we were party to it and by not doing anything to that you are party to it and you accepted it so i wouldn't like to blame anybody in person i would say it's actually holistic it happened and it should happen in the same manner do it together we can't undo the entire change that we have uh, gone through but i would say we can still bring back quite a lot
something I, I definitely want to talk about. It's it's laid out in front of us, and I'll include a, a photo in the in the album art that comes with this podcast as you're listening. Um, it's new to me, so I'm gonna need a hand. Uh, we're looking at a sheet that is made of jute. Now, from the beginning, jute is a plant. That's right. Uh, it's a bast fiber uh, pulled out from a plant. Uh, it grows predominantly in India and Bangladesh. It's one of the largest bast fibers grown in the world for uh, applications. Packaging is a predominant application of jute. And uh, the traditional processes we weave to make the fabric and make the sacks out of them. Yeah. Uh, technology has evolved. So there are various other ways to make fabric. You can make them out of uh, other ways uh, other than weaving. So we are trying to adopt a way. And I believe that uh, with the use of the developed science that is there, you can bring back, uh, a, you can bring to the world a product which uses natural fiber and also gives you uh, an opportunity to reduce the usage of plastic. I, don't, I do not agree to the fact that plastic can be banned. It cannot be banned. But certain applications of plastic can be avoided. Like for example, packaging, limited use packaging, we can avoid plastic. The fishing nets, we can use uh, natural fiber. We can use stronger fibers. We can use uh, fibers like uh, sisal, which predominantly grows in East Africa. Uh, very, very strong. It will sustain uh, the salt content in the sea. Can be used. So there are products which are available. It's sad that the price of these products have actually gone up. Now, that's very similar to what happened to the prices of uh, crude oil. The demand uh, is what prompts the prices to change. So crude avail was available at $105 a barrel. and It's also available at $12 a barrel in more or less a gap of uh, 7 to 10 years. So that exactly is the same thing when it comes to natural fiber. So when you actually calculate the cost of recycling hydrocarbon-based products and protecting the environment by recycling, and if you calculate the cost of natural fiber-based products, then natural fibers would still be cheaper. Yeah. Now, why do you create a demon and then talk about recycling it? So I would probably say, don't create the demon and then talk about recycling it. Hmm. When there is a way to go back on your system and use a product which will not damage or which, which will not endanger the environment further, and if it can be manufactured at more or less the same cost, why not take it? And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah. And, and it, it amazingly, or perhaps not, once we know the, the, the history of it, there's a connection here to hemp as well, uh, a similar in terms of the usefulness of this product. And here we step into that classic question of legality. And, and you know, in some countries, uh, people know that uh, hemp has this, it's the, the cannabis plant. And, and okay, cannabis, well then drugs, and then the countries where the drug is illegal, and, and all the demonization that comes with that. Here we are, we're in Tamil Nadu, and then in the larger context of India, I've heard Marijuana is quite negatively seen, legally more so. The penalty is harsh. I assumed that the plant is uh, the same risk is run. If the plant is, if you're involved in raising the plant, you could be in some major trouble. But you're telling me that in this country, actually, hemp uh, is used, it's growing. Tell the story. <laughs> See, hemp is a wild plant. 
what you see today in India is what grows in the wild. And uh, only when you're in the wild and there is a chance that, you know, it is misused. If it comes into the commercial stream, well within the gambit of the law, and when there is an application and when there is a buyer, I'm sure the farmers would definitely shun wild weed and continue to take up what is legitimately cultivated because the farmer is actually not going to be the gainer. If I'm harvesting wild wheat, which has a higher level of THC, I'm, the farmer is not going to be the beneficiary. It's probably the trader or the middleman who's going to be the beneficiary. So the farmer is actually going to get a realization for the crop that he cultivates. So if you can find a way to bring down the cultivation of wild weeds or wild hemp and turn that actually into legitimate fiber where the psychonarcotic value of the fiber is, or the plant is less, uh, the THC levels are 0.3 and less are legally permitted in India. It's just that the law needs to be much more clearer as to who is going to certify the seeds. So once that is very, very clear, the cultivation will grow faster. And I personally would like to push uh, industrial hemp for one more reason. It's a fantastic cleanser. Now, if you cultivate hemp in a soil which is barren, it will still grow. It needs very little pesticide or herbicide. It needs lesser water compared to cotton. But what is also classic is it actually removes the impurities from the soil. The government of India has got a fantastic or ambitious plan to clean up the Ganga. The Ganges River, mm -hmm. they want to clean it up. Now, you have a classic instrument in your hand. Cultivate good varieties of industrial hemp on the banks of the Ganges and see how the soil changes probably over a period of one or two years. The impurities in the soil will dramatically change. So it's not necessary that you just clean and probably think that it's not going to get dirty again. No, it's not so. It's too vast a river to be cleaned and then maintained spick and span. It's too vast. Mm -hmm. You'll have to be adopting multiple measures to ensure that the cleaning happens and at the same time, it's kept safe. You have a fantastic opportunity to do that. Just imagine if you're able to portion off a small area and give it to a farmer and say you cultivate this at this place and mentor it your job is done so it's not necessary that the government has to come and sit there with its own officers you can get farmers to do the job yeah get into the cooperative mode you'll be able to handle it this is uh, here's the question that that maybe is not answerable but still the ideas are here and you're not the only one with them right the the, the, the proven ideas are the right people, the people in power, listening, asking? Um, yeah, they are asking. Uh, I would rather say they're listening these days. Um, there's a better uh, reception these days. Uh, a few states have already been uh, approached. Discussions are on. I would say over the next 12 to 24 months, there will be a lot of activity in hemp in India. Hmm. As, as much as I would say... Um, uh, we already have a lot of progress compared to what we were a year back. And it's likely to uh, say the growth is, or the change is actually going to be much more rampant from now. Yeah. So 2017 is the year to watch hemp in India, perhaps. 2017 is going to be the year of hemp uh, in India. And 
2020 is where i see uh, quite a lot of changes in uh, natural fiber utilization in india and on that front in terms of and it's hard to say in such a diverse country but in terms of social acceptance social understanding is that is it there uh, and i'm asking this as a kid who grew up in suburbs of new york city with all the bad stories and the parents and the grandma would say don't you know that's bad everything bad it has to be bad no un- unless you go and tell somebody that you know uh, there's a ca- connection between cannabis and marijuana and hemp nobody's not nobody's going to know mm-hmm. it's probably some people who have traveled who've had uh, uh, who've read or who've had an occasional experience of somebody uh, using uh, marijuana in probably some parts of the world would probably be aware of it mm-hmm. now straight away if i tell somebody that i'm talking about industrial hemp it's just industrial hemp so the connectivity to the parentage of cannabis is not there okay it's not there it's just a vast fiber we can it, at that person pers- i think it's wonderful yeah and uh, surprisingly you know the plant has got so many applications mm. starting from the leaf to the fiber to the seeds to the root to what not yeah. and it's underutilized mm. it's a great dis- it's an interesting discussion it's an issue i didn't expect to stumble upon uh or in coimbatore or maybe during this tour and it all starts in a direct/indirect way with the jute that is laid out on the table in front of you that you laid out like an old map from history um it's a it's an artifact that you value greatly uh, this uh, is is um very difficult to produce at this uh weight to describe it it's like a a thin layer of of um brown light brown cotton wispy if you know uh cotton candy maybe for the americans anyway is uh, very I, i will uh, change that brown to uh, golden brown oh nice jute is actually called the golden fiber and in, in, in most parts of the world it's still called the golden fiber um this is not the best quality of jute that's there uh, but the best quality of jute would actually shine mm. it's a fantastic fiber of course has got its own limitations uh, it biodegrades in 6 to 9 months Now that's a classic opportunity for uh, packaging mm-hmm. for agrotextiles it's a wonderful opportunity because um i've told this to uh, my friends in europe uh, if you happen to carry a, a jute bag to the beach and you happen to leave it behind the seagulls can eat it and they're not going to die out of it mm-hmm. so in india i tell this to my friends if you feed a cow a used jute bag the cow is not going to die mm-hmm. so this is exactly the comparison i draw between a seagull and a cow mm-hmm. when you travel on uh, the rail tracks close to metros you can see quite a few kilometers of plastic carry bags on both sides of the rail tracks there are animals feeding on them yeah. how many of them die we've lost count just imagine if you can replace that with a natural fiber and at the same cost and these animals can eat them and there's probably a nutrition coming out of that the fantastic opportunity wow this is it starts with manufacturing and it goes so so much further there are people who have told us that uh, you know uh, this is uh, a product that is needed there are people who have told us you know this is a product that will not see the day several people have come and gone it's just another of shoot so it's not going to sustain but uh, i'm sure about one thing spero will sustain 
we will also sustain and there will be a lot of electric vehicles coming into india bringing in the whole thought of sustainability into the system and the way to go forward will be how do you make it even more sustainable you look at a back end renewable energy source to power these vehicles right. and we're already starting to talk about them yeah. so in a way i would say going by the government of india's vision that by 2020 the government of india says 6 to 7 million vehicles should be electric and by 2030 india as a as a country is 100% electric there is a mission which is already there So a few days back uh, friends of mine in the EV community told me that by 2030 Germany is going to ban registration of non-electric non-fuel cell vehicles. Now we've gone way forward. In 2012 the government of India said by 2030 we are 100% electric. Mm. So the vision is there. It's just that we have to put the right implementation strategies in place and it's likely to happen. And the classic takeaway for uh, a company like us is or probably for people who vision in the same lines is that of the 100 smart cities planned in india more than 60% of them are going to have a non motorized track hmm. that is for walkers for bicyclists and for e-bikers because e-bikes which have power of less than 250 watts come under the non motorized segment so that means it's a classic takeaway for people who are watching this space and who want to enter into this mm-hmm. i'm probably giving up giving up my business but then it means 1.2 billion indians are available as market so even if you're talking about the 400 to 600 million people who are the age group of 16 to 40 uh how many such companies are required to cater to just this country then you can imagine what's the requirement of the global system it's tremendous well stop there it's a it's a big picture conversation with a lot of small parts i, I really enjoyed it thank you thank you you've been listening to citizen reporter the south of mumbai series and that was manikandan in coimbatore his project is called spiro Spiro e-bikes S P E R O and you can find them on the web under that name spiroelectric.in is one place you can also watch videos I got to test ride the bike uh, down the street in Coimbatore it was pretty exciting I can now say uh not only did I ride a bike I rode an e-bike which was extremely comfortable and fast uh but it was also a great story and we went to lunch after this conversation and to this day Manikandan and I exchange messages and talk about how things are going. So if you enjoyed, look them up and maybe follow their progress because it's a journey. As for me, uh there will be one or two more podcasts in this series because there was so much to learn in India. So to keep up with that, you can go to citizenreporter.org or you find citizenreporter.org in your favorite podcast app. There are so many shows out there. I am one of them. And I'm glad to have you along as my listeners. You can also find me on social media at Bicycle Mark with a K, or on the Facebook Citizen Reporter Bicycle Mark. You'll find me there too. Until next time, I am Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.